This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Hello. And welcome. You are listening to Mark. I, I love that hello. That was like, that was, it was almost like a tentative. So it's going to be a hi or a hello or a, you know? I wasn't that was sure. Awesome. Are we beginning? In fact, this is yes. the start of the show. It is the start of the show, yes. And it's going to be an exciting one. Absolutely. Right? I think so. Yeah, we have some really great guests today, some really interesting conversations, I very, think. Very, very cool. You are listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn. I'm the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing. And as usual, I'm here with Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and a brand identity theorist. Hello, Americus. Uh, hello, Barbara. It's great to be here. <laughs> so Amazon has uh, made some decisions. Yes. Yeah. What did you think about that real uh, quick? It was pretty interesting okay. that they made this whole big deal about a second headquarters yeah. and then it was divided into two. <laughs> Yeah, and the cities they picked, they could have picked without all that. <laughs> right, data, right, right, right. We, we kind of got baso, <laughs> yeah, as right. it were. Exactly, that's a good verb. I haven't heard that before. Yeah, did right. you just make that? I up? just made that up. Yes, I did. Absolutely. Brand identity. Brand I- I'm a brand identity theorist. I'm like make up all kinds of quips. I just you know add as much uh, flavor as I can to the show. So yeah, there you have it. But I mean, it'll be interesting. It'll be to very see. interesting. Yeah. And yeah. Philadelphia, of course, is right in the middle. So right. Yeah. So I, was, I kept looking for the Philadelphia <laughs> angle on this, but. Yeah. Nobody was talking about Nobody that. Nobody was talking about that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we th- we're there, so, you know, we're, well, we'll, we'll, we'll split the difference. We'll see what happens. So. Well, in case you're wondering, Marketing Matters airs live every <laughs> I Wednesday. I think they are wondering, actually. <laughs> from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, yep. and we replay it several times during the week. And we have a very interesting show lined up for you today. So just let me give you an idea who we're going to talk to. First, we're going to talk to Peter Horst, who's the founder of CMO, Inc. He's mm. a Fortune 500 chief marketing officer. And he's been named by Forbes as one of the most influential CMOs in the world. Exciting. And he's got a new book out called Marketing in the Fake News Era. Not just fake news, Barbara, but (laughs) hashtag (laughs) fake news era. Yeah, yeah. This is interesting because a lot of people are are sort of concerned about, you know, we do a lot of messaging in marketing and this idea of, you know, trying to separate what is real versus puffery, I guess is the word we've used. Uh, yeah. And this, you know what I mean? In some senses, it's and like, all of that is really interesting because I and I know as you as a brand identity theorist have noticed this too. A lot more branding takes on social responsibility. Yes, and so yes. you know that really puts them at risk. Yep. And whether that's a good idea or not, good idea, I think he'll be able to weigh in on that, that'll and that'll be interesting. Awesome. And then at 5.30, we have Brad Grossman, who's the CEO of Zeitguide. Mm-hmm. He's our go-to cultural almanac, and they'll tell us about how retailers are fighting back in this world of people being bezoed. <laughs> <laughs> we just made up something here on the program. Marketing Matters. It. We have a new term. It's called being bezoed. <laughs> Hashtag bezoed. Let us know what you think. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And at 6 o'clock, we have Laura radish Butt. She's the founder and president of LBR Insight, and she'll talk about her op- on how retailers get 
diversity marketing mm, wrong. Interesting. So, and then, of course, at 6.30, Americas and I will be taking your calls in what Americas likes to call... Stump the professor, <laughs> ladies and germs. So, yeah, we'll be taking your calls. And we, me, Barbara and I, we're going to tag team this thing. And we don't think you can ask us a question that we cannot answer. That's so we'll what see. he thinks. <laughs> but that's fine. We'll see. We'll see. Yep. So clearly we have a packed show, a nice show tonight. So let's jump right in and bring in our first guest, Peter Horse. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So you've written a new book called Marketing in the Hashtag Fake News Era. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was, uh, it was a really fun project. It was actually an outgrowth of a, a speech I gave shortly after the election when I started seeing... All you know, one brand after another, getting caught in some kind of social political firestorm, mm. and then it kept happening, kept happening, and you know, as I started talking to CMOs about their experience with it, they would say, you know, I'm glad you're focusing on this. It's such a critical thing. Please tell me what you learned from the other CMOs. Just don't mention me. Don't talk about me <laughs> in any of your speeches. <laughs> so when people say this is really important, but don't mention me, that mm-hmm. made me think. You know what? Maybe there's a book to be written here. Yes. So, so there we have it. So what possessed you to write a book? How did you become an expert on hashtag fake news? Well, I don't know if I became an expert, but I became interested in it early on, and uh, started kind of diving into it and, and talking about it and writing about it. And then, as I said, that sort of turned into a book. So. Um, I think I was just, you know, early on the wave of people looking around saying, you know, there is this phenomenon going in. And I kind of use, you know, fake news as the handle to cover this general environment that is so politicized, Mm. so polarized, so full of angst and fear and mistrust. Um, What does all that have in terms of implications for marketing and people who are managing brands and the way in which you can wake up one morning and suddenly find yourself in the midst of a brand crisis, mm-hmm. either because of a misinterpretation of an ad or you know, a poorly executed ad or an employee who does something or something that has nothing to do with anything you've done. It's just events conspired around you to suddenly put you in the hot seat. Um, so it seemed that there, were really a, there was a new reality the brands were facing. So what are the new rules? What are the new moves to deal with it? Before we talk about all this new moves and stuff, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got your uh, branding, you know, expertise? Because you've been in branding before. I mean, you're definitely... Sure. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been around the block, so to speak. Um, <laughs> so I've been in, in marketing for, gosh, I hate to say it, about three decades. Wow. Uh, I started out at General Mills, uh, uh, at the beginning of my career and did the classic you know, packaged goods brand manager thing, had mm-hmm. a great experience there, mm-hmm. then made a pretty big jump over to the world of telecom. And this was you know, in the early days of convergence, um, the, the dawn of the Internet and, wow, what can you do with this online thing and how do television and data and telephony all come together? Then I went from there to uh, Ameritrade, and I was their first head of marketing just as that brand launched and as oh, wow. uh, online training was taking off in the late 90s. Wow. Interesting. From there, yet another, in some ways, odd move. I used to feel sort of sheepish about the uh, the seemingly random collection of jobs I'd had until one <laughs> recruiter said, oh, you've got the mosaic background. That's oh, wonderful. Oh, nice. Uh, That's hey, awesome. mosaic. I yes. like that. Much better than schizophrenic. <laughs> uh, but so uh, that was a move into uh, a very small B2B uh, technology company in the security space. Interesting. So e-commerce is taking off, and security was one of the big hang-ups. So they had a really interesting proposition in terms of 
kind of setting out to be the good housekeeping seal of approval uh-huh. for the security space. Mm-hmm. So I spent three interesting years there cutting my teeth in that arena, and then sort of was craving getting back into more of a consumer environment, jumped into Capital One, spent 12 years there, mm-hmm. doing a lot of really interesting work on you know how do you evolve the brand from being what was mostly a subprime credit card company mm-hmm. to being an increasingly diversified financial, a top 10 bank. Um, fascinating brand issues in terms of you know, integrating ING Direct, which was a very beloved, very unique brand. Ah, so I was wondering about that. So Capital One did build on ING Direct? Yes, yes. So they acquired that that brand because uh, here in Philadelphia there was an uh, there was a restaurant or something that was ING cafe. Direct and na- yeah, a cafe. And now it's Capital One Cafe. And I thought oh. that was just a coincidence, but it is not a coincidence, <laughs> huh? No, no, it is not. Mm. And uh, yeah, absolutely. It was w- one of the more interesting kind of brand and speaking of identity, identity challenges is how mm. do you mm-hmm. take this really unique franchise that was in many ways an anti bank mm-hmm. brand mm-hmm. and you know, lovingly usher it into the bosom of this large bank and even worse credit card company um, and not lose these customers who'd opted into this kind of very friendly, warm, non-banky persona. Is Um, that unique, that cafe, or does Capital One have a lot of cafes like that? Well, so building on that strategy, uh, that was another really interesting thing I and my team were involved with is, you know, what is the banking experience Mm -hmm. in the future? And Mm -hmm. there was this, Mm -hmm. you know, reality it's contradictory in many ways where many of us haven't been to a bank branch in a long time yes. and don't really care to. <laughs> exactly. And yet, mm-hmm. if you say, hey, how would you like a checking account with no branches anywhere? People get a little edgy. Mm-hmm. Well, what if something goes wrong? What if I need to look right. someone in the eye? Right. Um, so we all know there's way too many branches already. So the answer is no longer build out 250 branches in a city. So what's the right number and what's the right type of... Hmm environment to give people that comfort and yet be a good brand experience. So we, we, you know, kind of continue to build on and refine this concept of the banking cafe mm-hmm. where you can't cash a check, you can't get a safety deposit check, but you can open an account. You can get guidance on how to use, you know, digital products and have a great cup of coffee and have a really nice sort of environment to just wow. sit down and read a book in. Here they serve um, Pete's coffee, too. Seriously? It's really wow. Okay, yeah. so so you got... I've never been to this, Peter, and it, this is a real cafe. I thought yeah, you yeah. were using the term no, no, just no. as a... No, 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 it's on Walnut. It's cafe. right in the oh, middle of Philly. And it serves yeah. Pete's coffee, and it's a cool cafe. <laughs> wow. But it's a bank. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, again, the idea is not to have hundreds of them in a city, but mm-hmm. enough so that you feel there's a presence here. Um and it's not just this sort of, you know, vague digital app that, that mm-hmm. doesn't really exist and mm-hmm. I can't go look someone in the eye when, you know, I need to uh to fix something with my account. Um uh so it's it you know, in some ways kind of odd and surprising for a bank, but mm-hmm. it's actually proved to be quite effective in terms of providing that presence and, and generating the kind of count growth that uh, we were looking for. Interesting. So so there's data, Peter, then that suggests that bringing in people in a kind of a leisurely setting, have a little bit of coffee, relax, and have and have that experience, that actually leads to a higher likelihood of, of you know, wanting to open, it up an, open up an account with the bank? Or how does this... Well, I would say less from a cafe versus a bank branch perspective, mm-hmm. but, you know, sort of pulling back a little bit to say... Mm. If I'm entering, a, if I want to have a banking proposition in a city without the crippling expense of 200 branches, 
um, can I make that all work with a lot of marketing, a strong brand, and a number of these physical presences that feel like cafes mm. Mm. Um, to generate the market That's level really activity that I need? Interesting. And did, um, did competitors copy this? Or what What was the reaction? The reaction to the um, um, of competitors? You know, I'm not sure. I've seen. Yeah, I don't. I'm not aware of any others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. I think I, I. You know, for sure, all banks are struggling with the what's the banking concept of mm-hmm. the future. Right. How do we all get out from under this this uh, anchor around our neck of all these branches? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I'm not sure I've seen a lot of cafes. Interesting. So yeah. from that, you started your own company, CMO Inc.? Well, so there's one more stop along oh. the way. Well, one more I, stop, uh, Barbara, in the, in the, in the mosaic. mosaic of, uh... in the, mosa- the mosaic continues. Not I random, love that. But, <laughs> but uh, strategically mosaic. Uh, I went on to be the global CMO of the Hershey Company. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> so from uh, checking accounts to chocolate bars. Wow. So, uh, you are king of marketing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm king of bouncing around anyway. That's awesome. You definitely so, have the expertise to weigh in on this topic. Wow. Well, so it was after Hershey that I said, you know, l- let's take this opportunity to embark on what I call Career 2.0. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd known I, at some point, always wanted to, delve into more kind of writing and thought leadership and speaking, consulting. And so that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years. And um, it's been a, a fun mix. And um, the book was, was one, of the, uh, one of the outputs of that time. Mm. So what's the general, what's the soundbite of the book? Mm-hmm. The soundbite of the book is that, you know, brands are now operating in a you know, fairly tumultuous and treacherous environment. Um, we see it every day on the news, you know, all the polarization, mm-hmm. all the rampant uh, tribalism and conflict and stress and, you know, loss of trust and what's real and what's a fact. And increasingly brands are caught in the midst of this. Sometimes, as I say, it's because they stumble into it. Sometimes it's because um, an increasingly activist consumer base mm. has learned to use brands as part of their agenda. So, if Sean Hannity says something I don't like about the Parkland kids, then I will call up Keurig and say, hey, I'm going to hashtag boycott you if you don't pull your advertising. Mm-hmm. And then when that happens, the Hannity fans say, wait a second, you're just, you know, stuck your thumb in the eye of my boy, Sean. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start blowing up your Keurig machines and, you know, setting them on fire and putting that on, on social media. <laughs> so If you could uh, see Barbara's face right now, <laughs> Peter. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty crazy moment, right? Because in some senses, what you want to try to do is you, as a marketer, you're trying to create a kind of deep sense of connection and, quote, loyalty and affiliation with the brand. But you're saying this this new environment, this hashtag fake news environment, is really not only my love of the brand and the in-group that's associated with the brand, but hatred for the out-group in some senses uh, when you kind of layer in this sort of political, you know, aspect in terms of the tribalism piece, yes? Exactly. It, it, it It's become a world where... The more you resonate with some, the more oh, likely yeah. you are alienate. to alienate others. And uh, I actually created this sort of, you know, as an academic, you may appreciate this, this thing I called the brand risk relevance curve, where, you know, you can kind of, as you move along this, this curve, um, the more likely you are to have some people say, boy, I really love what you're saying. And the more likely you are to have other people saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to hashtag boycott you. Mm-hmm. So is that a and, central piece of yours, that there is that polarization, you can't please everybody? Well, it's really hard to please everybody. And, you know, it's a little bit like classic brand theory where you need to start with a target in mind and be really, really compelling and relevant to them 
if you try and be pleasant and inoffensive to everybody, then you get to kind of a least common denominator and you're not really that interesting to anyone. Mm. Um, but this is just that theory on steroids. Mm-hmm. So uh, I wouldn't say it's impossible. You know, there are some universal, you know, issues or likes and uh, themes and emotions, but, you know, it, it, it is difficult. And I think when companies confront this reality, they often take a very binary view, either um, – oh my gosh, I got to go all the way political and say, I hate Trump or we need to build a wall. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. uh, that is going to be polarizing and and controversial. And my brand just can't, I can't do that. Um, So therefore I have to go to the other extreme and just curl up in the fetal position and hope it all goes away. (laughs) (laughs) So with that curve I just described, I tried to articulate, there's actually a a range of, of postures one can take. From, you know, and, and there's no one right answer, but there's one thing everybody should do, which is that sort of base level of what are my values? What do I believe in? What's important to me? Even if I never want to breathe a word of that publicly, by doing that, you know who you are. You can use that as your moral compass mm-hmm. so that hopefully it helps keep you out of trouble in your daily operation and you don't have, you know, gate agents calling the police to drag a passenger off your plane, bloody and unconscious. Right. Um, But also, because you can't predict when you are called out, um, you're ready in case CNN does suddenly call and say, hey, there's people protesting at the gates. What do you say? Right. You don't have time in this this fast news cycle environment to ponder and discuss and Mm -hmm. have an offsite with the executives. You need to know what your answer is that day. So everybody should do at least that. A step up from that is what we've all been talking about for a while, brand purpose where you align yourself with something that's pretty broad, pretty positive and uncontroversial, like Dove and Real Beauty. Mm-hmm. Right, a very good thing. But the truth is, you're not going to have people storming the gates with pitchforks and torches saying, down with Real Beauty, we want fake beauty. <laughs> right? it's, it's generally a pretty evergreen, safe space. A notch up Although from that there's been I, missteps there, too. True. Well, exactly. And that gets to the execution and how you have the execution to be so careful piece, yeah. about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the next, uh, next step Before you give us the next, call... let me let me just reintroduce sure, yeah. you. This is Peter Horst. He's the founder and CMO, a uh, 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 founder of CMO Inc. And he's just recently written a book, which he's now talking about, the right. third step of. Mm-hmm. And the book is called Marketing in the Hashtag Fake News Era. And he's now telling us the third thing that you have to do. The first one is know your own values. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, 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 these are really choices one can right. make. Say, all right, I'm going to know my values, but not speak about it publicly. Okay. And another choice that takes you a little bit farther along where you're being a little bit more public, a little bit more relevant, um, but still fairly low risk, is to say, I'm going to embrace a brand purpose like Real Beauty or The right, Great Outdoors. Right. or So that's step you know, two. Confidence mm-hmm. in kids. One step more aggressive is what I call issues, where you wade into something that's a little bit more tension-filled, a little more current um, but not necessarily polar. Okay. You're not necessarily saying I'm for this or against that. And, you know, I think a good example there is Frito-Lay hmm. wading into the issue of young people aren't registering to vote. And that's, I see. no matter how they vote, that's just a bad thing. How can we, yes. how can we get engaged with that? Or not Heineken controversial. I see. With uh, Worlds Apart, mm-hmm. where they said, hey, yes. we're not having civil dialogue. We're not treating each other like people. Right. We're treating each other like idiot who doesn't believe in 
global warming. Right. But, but, um, but would the next step then beyond that, and this is probably way down your curve, Peter, would yeah. be kind of the Colin Kaepernick kind of a thing, right? Yes, yeah. precisely. Got that's it. exactly right. And that's where you say, I am for this, I'm against that, and there are clearly going to be you know, at least two sides of that issue. So without a doubt, there are going to be some people who don't like what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So how does a CEO decide where on that continuum they should be placed? Mm, yeah, that's, and a that, that's a big question. And, you know, it starts with that first stage of, like, what are the things that, that we believe in and hold dear, regardless of whether we would ever want to go public with it. But then it comes down to a really introspective um, sort of process of saying, you know, based on my customers, based on my business model, my owners, my leadership, my employees, um, you know, you have to put all those things in the mix master and say, what are we prepared to do? Mm-hmm. Right? How far along this curve are we prepared to go knowing that there will be risks? And if we just don't have the intestinal fortitude or if we have something in our business model where we know half the value of our company will walk away, um, if we go you know, this far with this issue, you know, those are all the things you need to weigh. So- and I'd say with the natural caution that most people would have when they're going through that calculus, you also need to remember that silence is a choice. And mm-hmm. people will view inaction and silence right. you know, as taking a position. And competitors and will fill the silence, right, Peter? Competitors will fill the silence, and employees may not put up with it. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more and more instances of that phenomenon, right? Google uh, oh, yeah, that's staging a, great a walkout example. Yeah. over you know, treatment of sexual harassment. Yep. Um, the airlines saying we won't fly kids... Uh, who are separated at the border from their parents, mm-hmm. you know, because the flight attendants are saying, this is not why I got into this business, dragging a screaming so, kid down the jetway. So mm-hmm. let me let me ask you a question. Why yeah. um, did you title it hashtag fake news? What, what, how does the fake news context interact with yeah. everything you're talking about? Well, you put your finger on the, the piece that I wrestled with the most. And the first five speeches I gave on this topic, I called it the Trump era. Because it, it seemed, the phenomenon really seemed to arise with the election, and he certainly instigated some of the first uh, instances, you know, calling out Nordstrom for dropping Ivanka's line. And, mm-hmm. um, but then as I looked at it more, I realized, you know, Trump is really more um, outcome than catalyst, right? Mm-hmm. He's more symptom than the cause. Um, so there are forces that preceded him and that will likely outlast him that are creating this environment. And I also didn't want it to sound like a political book, right. which it's not. Um, so I wrestled with what, you know, how, what's the right handle for this crazy environment? And uh, fake news seemed to just capture it. But, but you're correct in sort of calling out that it's not a book purely about fake news. I mean, the, the fake news phenomenon contributes to this era of mistrust and uncertainty. Well, and, one of the and, reasons you know, I ask that is because, you know, like the idea that a company should have some kind of value and take it all the way up potentially to issues and to polarizing sides, that's one issue. And the other issue is what if it is quote unquote fake? You know, like you think about what happened with that Pepsi ad with was oh, it Kendall yeah. Jenner. I mean, that yeah. was fake, right? That was they called it to their credit. They said, oh, God, my bad pull that ad. But the, the reason it didn't go over, it kind of was taking a position, but it wasn't genuine. It wasn't authentic. Mm-hmm. And so I would imagine that that would be part of of your thesis, that it really does have to be something that rings true to the company. Oh, 
Absolutely, in so many ways. So it, it has to be authentic in terms of um, being really rooted in something that's true about the company, true about the, the beliefs, um, which is why you know I described that first process of grounding in values as introspective, right? It's not about reading the market research and saying, oh, people care about hunger. We're going to be all about hunger today, mm-hmm. because then that leads to you mm-hmm. know inauthentic. Um, and, and people have gotten smart, and they've gotten cynical. And as more and more companies have jumped on the purpose bandwagon, people are starting to get a little jaded about all these people, you yes. know, hopping on and joining the parade and really doing more talking the talk and not walking the walk. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to put your finger on what Pepsi has done in terms of helping with social strife, mm-hmm. whereas Frito-Lay actually you know, right. did things to help people But they're vote. the same and, company. <laughs> and that same company is very <laughs> right. different. Yeah. Right. Um, so it really has to spring from an authentic place, and it has to have a real point of view. And you know, even in the Kendall Jenner ad, they didn't really have a point of view. It was sort of here's a general vague thing going on that looks kind of like a Black Lives Matter rally, but then Kendall Jenner stops it with a can of Pepsi. What was the point they're trying to make? Whereas right. Heineken, right. in contrast, was saying, yes. here's a real thing, right. not talking to each other like people, and here's a real aspiration. Let's sit down and be open and have a dialogue. So yeah. going back to America's favorite example, what would you have counseled Starbucks to do hmm. with, uh, with that restaurant situation? Well, you know, I think they did a lot of things right um, in that they immediately, immediately took it very, very seriously. They didn't do the United Airlines hem and haw and clear their throat for a week before they actually coughed up a a real apology. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a very, very, very heartfelt, I thought, and authentic-seeming apology and statement of, of regret and sincerity from the CEO followed by a lot of action. Mm-hmm. Shutting um, down the stores for a full day of training. Very visible, very mm-hmm. revenue-hurting move. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people are saying, hey, it's going to take more than that. Yeah. Right. That <laughs> wow. Okay. Tough crowd. Okay. <laughs> there you have it. Um, but, but, you know, it goes to the point where you need to, in those instances, show sustained commitment mm-hmm. to whatever it is. So you, you show that it's real. You take it seriously. You're on it. You don't try and blame wow, what a terrible manager. I'm shocked that that happened. No, the CEO said, wow, we failed. Right. Um, here's things we're doing, and then show, and here's what we're continuing to do. Right. Um, now, fortunately, Starbucks has on its side a long history of trying to be on the right side of right. you know, these kinds of issues. Yeah, now and they have the a re- really big holiday issue coming up. Right, here we go. <laughs> exactly. Hashtag Christmas. <laughs> right. Exactly, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think to your point, Peter, that you, you make a great point there when you talk about sustained commitment. And what popped into my mind when you were uh, discussing this is the idea of the fact that if you're doing this over time, you're, it's, almost like, it's almost like making deposits in a bank of goodwill. And yeah. so, you know, this notion of, of creating credibility over time and if something – it's going back to the Dove case. I mean Dove was doing some things, some nice things, uh, really nice things with this uh, Real Beauty campaign over time so that when they did have the little misstep with the bottle shape uh, you know, debacle, yeah. people were like, okay, that was bad. But that doesn't completely negate you know, exactly that's, what you've yeah, been trying to do over time. Yeah. So I, th- I think if you're – to your point, if you're, if you're putting in that effort, that sustained commitment, you're actually trying to build something. Uh, in exactly. terms of goodwill with your consumers. And, and, you know, you may have to draw down on that for some of these mistakes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that, that's so true. And it, it, in addition, um, 
I would even counsel start walking before you start talking Mm -hmm. so that when you do say, hey, we're all about this value or this issue, from the get-go, you can say, and look what we've been doing. So Mm -hmm. you can pass that cynical first look to say, is this an ad or is this a belief that's backed up by action? Um, and then, in addition, as you say, you're, you're making deposits in the Goodwill Bank that, that you like that may very well need. Well, Peter, thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. We've been talking to Peter Horst, who has just written a new book called Marketing in the Hashtag Fake News Era. It was a pleasure to have you. And if you want to find out more about Peter, you can go to cmoinc.com or follow him on Twitter at Peter Horst. Up next... Brad Grossman of Zeitgeist will be discussing how retailers are fighting back. You're listening to Marketing Matters, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 